clamped down completely and banned everything uh, cryptocurrency related. Yeah. Other centers as well have also tightened up. So why are you taking this different well, approach? I guess, uh, well, I guess, I guess it's, it's, it's the regulatory framework that we're looking at building first and foremost. I mean, from, from, from a perspective of SGX, um, we, you know, we've only just licensed a, uh, what, what do we call it, the iEdge Bitcoin Index to Propine, which is one of the first MAS licensed digital asset custodians. Uh, and that's, um, that's, that's in a collaboration with the UK-based uh, digital asset um, market, divider, market data provider, which is called Crypto Compare. Now, that was launched just back in September. Um, now, that is tracking something like 165 global spot exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Peter, um, as we say, it's still early days, and, and mm-hmm. this is the very early days. Um, and we know that globally. AUM is much in the West. Um, it's mm-hmm. just where we're seeing interest in Asia is that, I guess, those fiat crypto trading pairs, they now, you know, account for more than 40% of total global okay. spot volume. So, okay, yeah, right. well, good, good basically luck. putting framework in place. Good, yeah. luck, good <laughs> luck with that. Sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you very much, Jeff. That's Jeff Howey, market strategist Absolute at the pleasure. Singapore Exchange. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. A final look at the markets for this week. Uh, First of all, in Australia, the SX200 is up two-thirds of 1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 down half a percent. Uh, Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 1% lower. The Kospi in South Korea also off slightly as well this morning. Brent crude oil is a bit firmer at $81.55 a barrel. Gold is also pretty well unchanged, $1,792 an ounce. Have a great weekend. Do please join me again on Monday morning. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton in just one moment. The weather forecast, sunny periods, maximum temperature of around 29 degrees. Going to be rather warm with relatively low visibility over the weekend. 25 degrees right now, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says the government doesn't plan to add a tracking function to the Leave Home Safe app, but warned that people would need to upload their check-in records if they want to avoid quarantine when they travel to the mainland in future. Her comments come amid growing optimism about the prospects for a gradual reopening of the border. The South China Morning Post quoted Mrs Lam as saying quarantine-free travel to the mainland would first start off with the Greater Bay Area and business exchanges would get priority. SAR officials have been working to convince their mainland counterparts to reopen the border, pointing to Hong Kong's success in maintaining a zero-Covid strategy. The World Health Organization's head for Europe has warned the region could see another half a million deaths in the next three months because of a surge in coronavirus infections. Last week, nearly half of all reported deaths globally happened in the 53 countries his region covers. But Hans Kluger also said Europe was now in a stronger position to deal with the virus. Europe is back at the epicenter of the pandemic, where we were one year ago. The difference today is that we know more and we can do more. We have more tools and means to mitigate and reduce the damage to our communities and society. The current situation and alarming short-term projections should trigger us to act. A Russian analyst who is the source for a dossier of allegations about Donald Trump's relationship with Russia has been arrested in the United States. Igor Danchenko has been charged with making false statements to the FBI. The BBC's Nomia Iqbal in Washington has more. 
Igor Danchenko has been described as the primary researcher for the so-called Steele dossier, a collection of reports compiled by the former British spy Christopher Steele. It contains salacious claims about Donald Trump, as well as allegations that people within his orbit were conspiring with Russia for him to win the 2016 presidential election. Mr Danchenko was arrested as part of an investigation appointed by Trump's Justice Department to investigate the origins of the Russia probe. According to the indictment, he lied to the FBI when they interviewed him several times four years ago. Mr Danchenko has previously denied he is a Russian agent. And police in Australia have charged Terence Darrell Kelly, a local resident, with forcibly taking four-year-old Cleo Smith from a camping tent more than two weeks ago, among other offences. Kelly appeared briefly in court in the town of Carnarvon, where a magistrate refused to release him on bail. When police were asked by reporters if it felt good to have Kelly before the court, Detective Sergeant Cameron Blaine had this to say. It certainly does. You know, it's obviously um, the culmination of lots of hard work and uh, that's what we've been here for. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic, but I'm not going to prepare to make any more comments on that. Thank you. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. Today, we're talking about COVID booster shots and the Central Harbourfront development. The government will start giving out COVID booster shots to the elderly and high-risk groups from next Thursday. Priority groups include those with weak immunity and people with a high risk of infection. Eligible people can get the third booster jab regardless of whether they had previously received the Sinovac or BioNTech vaccines. Some 1.86 million residents can start booking vaccinations from today. Those who have received Sinovac shots and are not in the high-risk groups can also get a discretionary booster shot if they can prove they're traveling to a high-risk area. But on whether the booster program will be expanded to include everyone in future, the Secretary for Health, Sophia Chan said the authorities would monitor the situation. So is it the right time to give out booster shots and is this a matter of urgency? After 9.15am, we're discussing the harbourfront development as Henderson Land just won the bid for a prime commercial site in Central at a record of $50.8 billion. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, Email us at backchat at rthk.hk and, of course, you can give us a call on 23388266. That's 23388266. We'd love to hear from you. To kick off our discussion this morning, we have in our Kowloon Tong studio Benjamin Cowling, an epidemiologist from the University of Hong Kong, Ivan Lin from the Society for Community Organization, and Alex Lam, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. And thanks for joining us on the program. So um, maybe, um, Mr. Lam, maybe we can start with you. Uh, what's been the reaction so far from members of your group on the government's booster shot program? Well, um, I'm yet to collect um, 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 opinions from um, our member groups uh, because it was only announced uh, two days ago. We are not um, able to do any survey on this. But given the, um, <clears throat> the, the reason behind for this uh, was um, the jab, I, I think it is good that uh, for protection purpose, it, it, it is uh, um, recommended that uh, those who are eligible for this uh, booster jab that uh, should go uh, to take this. 
Uh, however, uh, we we wonder whether um, this would um, serve any uh, meaningful purpose because, um, as we all know, that uh, Hong Kong has been um, recorded zero um, um, local cases uh, for for not days, not weeks, but months. So, um, hoping that uh, the border will be reopened, that uh, the, this booster jab or um, the vaccination will be um, useful uh, for protection of uh, uh, our community and get ready for a reopening border that uh, people may be, uh, more people may be coming to Hong Kong or coming back to Hong Kong and we can do traveling more. Uh, this, this vaccination or first um, um, jab will um, we make it um, possible and make it safe to do so. However, we are yet to um, um, hear from the government as to when the, the border will be reopened. Well, actually, according to uh, uh, the SEMP this morning, the chief executive, uh, Carrie Lama, did say that uh, authorities are making good progress in talks with mainland authorities over reopening the border. And uh, and uh, the, according to the report, she said uh, um, quarantine travel to uh, the mainland, uh, well, to the Greater Bay Area, may, uh, may be um, achieved uh, maybe by the end of the year. Is that, well, is we, that good we news? Don't know. <laughs> we don't know because... Uh, uh, making progress in, in conversation doesn't mean anything, and uh, it's not really an assurance as to the, the exact time the, the border will be open. We, we don't know because we see a surging number of cases in, in mainland China, in many different places in China. So it may be the time that uh, um, the border will be um, closed for a further period of time. We don't know. But uh, if we, there's an assurance that uh, the border would definitely open on a certain time or certain day that uh, people will know what to do. All right, uh, let's bring in uh, Soko's Ivan Lin. Uh, Mr. Lin, what do you think about the plan? Uh, do elderly people welcome the timing of the government's booster shot? Well, I think most of them look forward to the booster shot. Um, however, there are still some worry about, especially for those who have some uh, immune response after taking the first and the second jab. Uh, they are still worried about if they are suitable for the booster shot. So uh, I guess more information should be given for uh, what kind of email uh, response is, is normal and it's okay to take the first shot. But, uh, but then uh, do they welcome the, the booster shot plan uh, being introduced now? Yeah, uh, some of them actually look forward to it, and uh, I guess uh, they think taking by taking the booster shot, it, it will uh, extend the social distance measure uh, faster. So uh, they also uh, looking forward to go back to mainland China if they have families there. So uh, for these uh, elderly, they are especially uh, welcome the booster shot. So, okay, so, so the elderly believes uh, getting the booster shot would mean uh, being able to return to normal life faster, I guess. Let, let's see uh, what uh, Professor Cowling has to say. Is, is this really the case uh, when Hong Kong is uh, still pursuing its uh, zero infection strategy? Yeah, so for the zero infection strategy, that means we're hoping not to have any local infections in the coming months. It may not work that way, but that's what we're aiming for. That's what we're hoping for. If that really works out to be the case, then, then whether or not we get third doses won't make a big difference, because if there's no infections, then there's no need for the protection from vaccination. The reason we want to have a higher vaccine coverage in Hong Kong is because we're worried that the zero COVID approach might fail for some reason. And then there'll be an outbreak, maybe a fifth wave, a lot of people infected, and then we know that that's not a good thing. And it is much better for us if the community's got protection. Uh, so, so I think it, 
in terms of thinking about whether third doses are needed, we need to think about how secure are we with our zero COVID approach. If we think we're extremely secure, then we can put off the third doses. If we're worried that we're not so secure with the zero COVID approach, then maybe we do need to get higher vaccine coverage. And I would say, actually, for me, the priority is not third doses, it's first and second doses for the over 80s. And where are we with the numbers on that at the moment, Professor Cowling? Because it was 80% of over 80s weren't vaccinated recently, wasn't it? Uh, it's now 74% are not vaccinated. So no great shift of the dial uh, still, there. Still, the vast majority of, of, of older people, of, of people over the age of 80, have not been, not received their first or second dose, which I think is a, a, a big, big, big issue if we do have a third wave. So, so Professor Cowling, if the booster shot doesn't mean uh, we can return to normal life uh, faster, um, what does it mean? What, what do you mean by normal life? Normal life as in uh, what uh, Mr. Lin was talking about, uh, how um, elderly people may be able to go out more or go across the border. Well, f firstly, in Hong Kong, we haven't had any local transmit local outbreak for six months or more. And one of the big advantages, the theoretical advantages of the zero COVID approach is that domestic life can return to normal. Once you're at zero cases, you just need to be concerned about the border, about the, the firewall you build around the border to make sure there isn't infection coming into the community. We've had that for six months. So actually, in Hong Kong, life could be fairly normal but the issue would still be the travel whether it's across the boundary to the mainland or overseas and that can't can't change until we have a change in strategy at, at the higher level and like i mentioned earlier the, there is a report in the scmp this morning uh where the chief executive saying that uh, authorities are making good progress in talks with mainland authorities over reopening the border and uh, um they may may aim for the greater bay area first uh, with a quota system um and uh, priority may be given to uh, business exchanges uh, what's your view on that professor cowling well, i think that's very exciting that's what we've all been waiting for i think we recognize that when Hong Kong's closed on all sides, it's really not ideal. And if we could have the boundary open with the mainland, it's better. Uh, we also have the option to go the other way and maybe uh, open to the rest of the world like Singapore have done. But, but the mainland is the priority for now. And so there's a lot of economic advantages to that. And I, I think it's exciting for Hong Kong uh, to see the, the developments. But let, let's see that when it actually happens, because I think we're all waiting. We've been waiting for a while and uh, I hope we don't have to wait too much longer. And uh, earlier, um, Mr. Lam, he, he, I mean, he, he sort of welcomed the booster shot plan, but then he also uh, expressed a little doubt on the, uh, um, the timing of the uh, government's uh, booster shot plan. What's your assessment, Professor Cowling? Well, again, I think if we were to say we're, we're really confident we can stay at zero cases for another six months or another 12 months, then I, I, I would tend towards deferring the third doses for a while longer, except for travelers, um, because we may not need the protection now. We may value it more later. But if we're not so confident that we can keep COVID out of the community in, in, in the coming months, then I think it is a good idea to get the immunity to a higher level because otherwise we could have a devastating fifth wave. And, uh, and that, I, I don't want to see that happen. All right, uh, let's go back to uh, Mr. Lam for a moment. Uh, Mr. Lam? Yes. Um, do you know if most patients in your group who, who are vaccinated, did they receive the Sinovac or BioNTech shots? Well, I, I, um, I don't have the figure. Uh, but earlier this year, we, we have conducted a survey as to, uh, because at that time there was no uh, vaccination uh, conducted yet. So we, we are getting um, um, opinion from our members to uh, uh, what kind of a vaccine they are going to take and uh, what, what um, concern they have uh, before or uh, having the choice they have. Um, so um, it, it's now impossible to, to see what the concern is because it seems that um, for um, getting back to normal life that they, um, they, they will have
have to uh, do the, the vaccination for pr- the protection and for um, attending certain places like uh, weddings. So, um, but um, we, we all know that uh, the, the doctors has been doing a good job in, in uh, assessing uh, um, people who are going to def- take that vaccination, whether they are suitable to take such. Um, but um, we, we have a new game uh, rule that uh, because, um, uh, as we all know, that uh, we, when, when you have taken a certain um, uh, vaccination, that uh, if you're going to take a new one, then you might have to uh, get a new assessment as to whether this new jab is uh, suitable for you, uh, not to mention that it's the third one. And what about the elderly, Mr. Lin? I assume most of them opted for Sinovac, right? Yeah, well, uh, uh, yes. for observation, yes. Uh, most of them opted for uh, Sinovac. And uh, I, I think there is also the factor of convenience because uh, you can get Sinovac in uh, private GPs, but uh, now you need to take beyond that in the uh, community vaccination center. And we are worried that uh, some of them will be closed uh, by the end of the year. So uh, it's getting more difficult for elderly to opt for uh, beyond that. So, so do you know if um, so most of them? Do you know if most of them will be getting the Sinovac as the booster shot or BioNTech? I think for boosters, most of them will take the same uh, vaccine they have uh, for the first and the second dose. Uh, but it's, uh, as experts suggest that uh, BioNTech give uh, more protection to the elderly. I think uh, there should be choices, so uh, more channels for the elderly to take uh, to offer BioNTech. Professor Cowling, what do you think? Actually, the chief executive, Carrie Lama, says she will be taking uh, Sinovac as her booster shot because uh, she didn't experience uh, much side effects from uh, getting two Sinovac uh, doses previously. How should a dose eligible for a booster shot select the, the, the right shot? I'm glad that in Hong Kong we do have a choice of vaccines. In most parts of the world, it is not possible to have a choice. So people are free to make their own decisions. I think the evidence is clear that the protection provided by BioNTech is is stronger and lasts for longer. And that's why right now we're having the third dose only for people who receive the sign of at first. Uh, in due course, we'll probably have a round of fourth doses. And again, it may, people who've had the, it may be people who've had the sign of at before who need to queue up first for their fourth doses as well. Um, but uh, if, I, I'm okay with, with the idea that people can make their free choice of which vaccine they'd prefer to get. And uh, a researcher, a new researcher released uh, this week uh, by uh, University of Hong Kong and uh, Chinese university researchers showed that a third BioNTech shot can offer a significantly high immunity for Sinovac recipients with low antibody levels. Um, do, you, do you know um, much about that uh, uh, finding? Yeah, we have a similar study going on at the University of Hong Kong as well, and it, it's not too surprising because in the first and the second doses, the BioNTech vaccine gives a stronger response. And then for people who have already received two doses of Sinovac, it, it does make sense that if you get the BioNTech as the third dose, it gives you a, a stronger immune response. I think the reason we do these trials is, is partly we want to make sure there's, there's no, nothing surprising when we do a combination, when we do a mixture of vaccines. Uh, earlier on in the pandemic, uh, earlier this year, I th- it's a missed opportunity that we didn't look at mixed vaccine strategies because each company was looking at their own vaccine. BioNTech were looking at two doses of their vaccine. Sinovac were looking at two doses of their vaccine. And none of the companies got together to say, what if we did one plus one? Because actually there, there's some theoretical advantages to that and, and it, it may turn out to be better strategies, but, but uh, it, it hadn't been done in the well, past. Well, they're businesses at the end of the day, aren't they? So, Professor Cowling, how was the response to your study? 
Uh, we, we have uh, overwhelming response and overwhelming interest in our in our study so far. Um, so we're, we're, we're getting along with it, moving along with it, and uh, we hope to have some results soon. So how many applications did you get? Oh, we, we had within the first 48 hours for our third study, we had 1,700 people that expressed interest, and that was a lot more than we could cater for. It's the most interest we've ever had in any of our studies. Wow. Mm. So do you sense a sea change in people's reaction and, to the idea of getting vaccinated now, all that? Uh, whining seems to have stopped. I think in Hong Kong we've had a fantastic response to the vaccination campaign. I think six to nine months ago uh, we had, all had the idea in our head and there was a lot of messaging that we need to get to a high vaccine coverage in order to return to normal life. And it was a, a kind of the similar message in Singapore. But what we've seen in, in maybe the last two or three months is, is somewhat of a change in direction that maybe even with a high vaccine coverage we still can't relax the public health measures in Hong Kong because we have other objectives. We want to keep people safe. And as a public health expert, I, I support the idea of not having any COVID in Hong Kong. I, I would also support the idea of not having any influenza, not having any lung cancer, not having any other nasty diseases in Hong Kong. So, so would you strongly support us to go out and get our flu shots as well? Of course. I, I, I advocate for flu shots every year and I do research on flu shots. Um, but in reality, I, I think it's also important that people can choose what they want to do based on the level of risk. And so when the risk is perceived to be low, I can understand why some older people don't, uh, defer getting vaccination. It may not be that they, they're against it, they're just waiting because right now there's no imminent risk of COVID in their minds. And uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a risk for us because we've seen how quickly COVID can spread. So if we do suddenly have an importation and, a, and an outbreak, uh, there could be a lot of cases in a very short space of time and that's not enough time for people mm. over the age of 80 to then go and get their first dose, wait and then get their second dose. Uh, the, the outbreak could be in full swing by then. So what do you think is happening in Europe right now? Because in the, since the first week of October, the Netherlands has gone from a very short, small number of cases, 6,400 to an awful lot more. Germany, 9,000 to 19,000 mm. in two weeks. And so, hospitalizations, they had a warning from the German health minister this week about increased hospitalizations and the system being overwhelmed. What's going on there? Because they're all at around 70% yeah. vaccination. Earlier this year, maybe before the summer, a lot of European countries were ramping up their vaccination programs, getting to higher and higher levels of vaccine coverage, and then progressively relaxing their public health measures because they're no longer needed. And what we saw in the UK, after they started relaxing the measures in July, fairly soon they started to have increases in cases, and that was called an exit wave. When you bring down the public health measures, there will be some transmission going on. Uh, and they weren't expecting it to last as long as it has lasted. But on the other hand, Europe also relaxed their measures but didn't have the same surge in transmission until more recently, until about now actually. And I don't know why there's been that delay uh, between the dynamics in the UK and the dynamics in Europe. I know in the UK they do a lot of testing, particularly in children, and that may pick up case numbers earlier than, than maybe in other places that don't do the same thing with testing every child twice per week. But it, th there's still a lot of mystery about COVID, a lot of things we don't fully understand about, about the transmission dynamics. Uh, but, but I guess for Europe, it's, it's a worrying time now because it's coming into the winter and I would expect the case numbers to keep going up for a while. As we've seen in the UK, the exit wave can persist for quite a while. And then in Eastern Europe, we're seeing um, a really exponential rise in Eastern Europe, Germany, a, Latvia, yeah. all these well, the, 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 uh, Not the, the, East Germany, East Germany well, former East Germany, the, Russia, Latvia. Yeah, the, the, the former um, real Eastern Europe, the, 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 the eastern side of Europe it, it 
is going to have a problem because their vaccine coverage is much lower than Western Europe. And I, I'm really concerned about that situation. I also, I, I, I do have a concern that there's a lot of third doses being given in Europe, which will have a, a benefit to those countries. But those doses, those same doses could do so much more benefit if they were given in Eastern Europe as the first dose and the second dose to, to vulnerable people and older people. And I think, again, that's a missed opportunity in, in, in uh, regional health terms that, that all the, the vaccine doses are concentrated in a, in a few rich countries. And actually, you know, if we have a million doses for third doses to give in Hong Kong, if some of those were diverted to Eastern Europe, I think they could save a lot of lives. All right, Professor Cowling, uh, I've got a few emails here. Let me just read them out. Uh, first of all, this one is from Paul. He says, uh, UK has become the first to authorise uh, an antiviral pill called Monopiravir to treat mild to moderate COVID-19. It says, uh, let Hong Kong follow quickly and open our borders. And another email here from Dan. He says, dear Backchat, for seniors with the government offer, well, I mean, for seniors, will the government offer a COVID-19 jab and seasonal flu jab at the same time? And where? And that's uh, from Dan. And also there's uh, this email specifically um, asking Professor Cowling for his views. It's from Alonzo. It says, uh, as Professor Cowling pointed out, only 16.66% of the over 80s have been vaccinated. Most people accept that this rate is attributed to a combination of various factors, such as uh, concerns about the safety of the jabs, inaccurate media reports about their safety. The fact that we have zero local cases has reduced to uh, reduced necessity of being jabbed for etc etc but the surprising thing is that the children of these elderly people many of whom are probably in their 50 or 60 age group where the vaccination rate is very high at 77.8 percent have not encouraged their over 80s parents to get jabbed and that's from alonzo yeah i i i think there's a lot of reasons why the older the older people in hong kong haven't got vaccinated and and it is an issue that needs to be addressed and I, I, I would certainly like to see their, their children, maybe middle-aged adults, uh, giving more of encouragement to the, to the old people uh, to get vaccinated uh, because it really can benefit them and, and we can't predict uh, when, when the fifth wave might come. Uh, in terms of the flu and COVID vaccine, I could just respond to that quickly. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the Department of Health announced that they're not going to do simultaneous administration of flu and COVID vaccines. In other countries, they may, they may be going to do that. But in Hong Kong, we're going to keep them separate because we want to keep an eye particularly on the, the side effects. If there are any side effects, uh, we, we don't want to have side effects occurring and then not be sure what, what, what's happened and, and where the side effects have come from. So we do the flu vaccine and then probably wait 14 days before doing the COVID or vice versa, not do them together. And what do you think of the uh, new uh, antiviral medicine, Molnupiravir? Oh, it's fantastic. It's going to save a lot of lives. So, so at the beginning of the pandemic, we knew that the only really way out from, from all of the restrictive public health measures was either effective vaccines or effective treatments. We just need one or the other. Uh, and then we've had vaccines for the last year. And right now we've got effective treatments as well. So it's fantastic. So really COVID poses much less of a threat now than it did two years ago, even even one year ago. Uh, you can use vaccines to prevent severe disease. And even when people do get COVID, you can give them the antiviral drug so that they have a much better prognosis. Uh, so, so I think it's really fantastic news. Uh, and uh, Mr. Lin, and just quickly, do you know, um, have you been speaking to the elderly? Do you know if they would have preferred uh, getting the uh, seasonal flu jab uh, with their uh, COVID booster shot? Well, uh, the seasonal flu jab rate is uh, always uh, relatively low in Hong Kong. So I think along with uh, the COVID vaccination, there is, uh, amongst other factors, there are also the factor of uh, primary health network. 
because many of uh, older persons, they don't have uh, family doctors. And also when they go to HA uh, hospital authority for uh, follow-up appointment, maybe on their COVID diseases, normally the doctors won't uh, have the vaccination talks and uh, won't encourage them because uh, they are very busy. So I think also the primary health network is full in Hong Kong, so they don't have the chance of having the uh, vaccination talk. And uh, okay, and uh, Mr. Lam, um, yes. What, what is the situation with uh, patients? I mean, do you think uh, um, do they know about this booster shot plan, or, or do you think the government uh, needs to contact uh, people eligible for third doses of uh, um, COVID nineteen vaccines to make sure they know about these uh, booster shots? Well, I think it's yes to um, um, to be promoted as the uh, the program is only announced for two days. And uh, looking at the um, requirement for, for this vaccination, uh, I think the government will have to do a lot of uh, um, campaign to promote this uh, program. But uh, on the safety measure, I think um, I think it is important that uh, having two previous uh, of that um, uh, without any problem doesn't mean you are safe to take the uh, the, the, the other one uh, behind and take. I mean. So, uh, because they have a different um, uh, side effect, uh, a different um, situation before you are eligible to take this uh, uh, different um, vaccine. So, um, doctor will be able to um, do the job to make sure that uh, people getting this uh, new uh, vaccine um, uh, are safe. All right. So, you haven't really heard anything. You don't know if patients actually know about uh, no. this yet. I think we will have to do a, a quick survey on this, uh, possibly. All right. Uh, I'm afraid we have to take a short break for the news summary. Ivan Lin from the Society for Community Organization and Alex Lam, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices. I know you both have to go. Thank you very much again for joining us this morning. And uh, Professor Cowling, uh, you'll be staying with us for a little longer. So we can discuss more in a moment when we'll also be joined by your colleague, Professor Ivan Hung, who is a member of an expert committee advising the government on COVID vaccines. And uh, just a reminder that uh, after 9.15, we'll be discussing the harbourfront development. And a quick look at the weather. Uh, right now, uh, sunny intervals expected today with a highs of around 29 degrees. Winds moderate east to southeasterlies. Right now, it's 25 degrees, relative humidity, 84%. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic, but I'm not prepared to make any more comments on that. Thank you. You're listening to the news on RCHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Anna Fenton and me, Janice Wong. Let's get back to our discussion on the government's booster shot plan. Still here with us in the studio is epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong. Also on the line now is Professor Ivan Hong, who is a member of an expert committee advising the government on COVID vaccines. If you have any questions or comments for these experts, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 23388266 and our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. And uh, I actually do have a few emails here. Um, let me just read them out uh, before we get back to the discussion. Um, this one, it says... Hi, please. Um, this one is actually from John. It says, hi, please ask why not open three jab boosters for all? And uh, another email here. It says, uh, dear back chat. Uh, it's from Paul. 
because vaccinations, uh, he says, because vaccinations do not stop transmission of the virus. Plus, the introduction of booster shots tells us that the vax is less effective than natural immunity. It's therefore no one's business whether someone is vaccinated or not. This is looking less and less like a pandemic and more like a bunch of high-handed control over public movement. And that's uh, from Paul. All right, uh, let's uh, get back to our discussion. Professor Ivan Hong, thanks for joining us this morning. Morning. So, um, first of all, uh, what do you think of the timing of the booster shot program? Is now the right time to do it when uh, Hong Kong is pursuing its uh, zero infection strategy? Yeah, I think it's about the right time, uh, especially for certain categories, uh, including, of course, uh, those who are elderly, about the age of 60, um, those who are immunocompromised, post-transplant patients, patients on biologics or chemotherapy. So these special cohort of patients who have a relatively low or zero antibody. So this will be the right time for them to get the um, booster dose. Uh, besides, uh, the, uh, for those who have received two doses of Sinovac, will have a relatively low uh, antibody as well. So uh, this will be the right time. Um, and hopefully, of course, that, you know, in the next three or four months, uh, the, you know, things will change that we will be able to perhaps travel uh, quite freely again. So that in that time, of course, the Delta strain or, you know, future variants may be coming into Hong Kong. So uh, this uh, particular cohort will be at risk as a result. Professor Kelling? Uh, three or four months is optimistic, Ivan. Um, maybe across the mainland border, if we don't have a fifth wave here and if the outbreak in China is, is brought under control. Um, I think we're all looking forward to the day when, when we can relax all the public health measures because the vaccine coverage is high enough and we have effective treatment, so, so COVID is no longer a, a public health emergency. To, to that point, Professor Cowling, at what point would we say, OK, we can turn off all the red lights and say it's just an ongoing chronic problem? When will we reach I, that point? I think Singapore had a very clear roadmap and, and a going through that process right now. I think they said once they get to 75%, they're going to start to, to relax. Once they get to 85% coverage, they're going to relax even more. They're going to track the, the, the exit wave and make sure it doesn't get too large, too out of control. And, and they're looking at it now. The numbers of cases in Singapore have come down again. So they're going to relax more. And step by step, they're going to relax. And I would imagine by the end of this year, by early 2022, they wouldn't have any public health measures in place anymore. People would be freely traveling around the world and it would be essentially pretty much back to normal. Um, that, that's the hope. And I think in Hong Kong, we could choose that roadmap if we wanted to. But obviously, we can't go in that direction if, if our aim is to open the border with the mainland, because we need to stay at zero cases. Because from the data from Singapore and other similar countries shows, I think that if you're vaccinated twice, there's a 32% less chance of catching COVID. So it really does work, doesn't it? The, the vaccination is fantastic. It's a, it's a lower chance of getting COVID, and then there's a much lower chance of, of getting severe disease. So it, it turns COVID into this really, really dangerous threat to public health down to something more like, maybe not the same, but more like seasonal flu, where from year to year, we tend not to have a lot of public health measures to control seasonal flu. We, we just accept it that, that uh, it's around. And it's only in the, the biggest epidemics uh, that, that the government will take some kind of public health measures. All right, uh, Professor Hong, I know a government uh, expert committee has recommended that all Sinovac recipients uh, should get a booster shot, and that's not happening yet. But what about BioNTech recipients? Uh, let's just first uh, listen to this short clip from the Health Secretary, Sophia Chan, from Wednesday. 
For those who have taken BioNTech but not the high-risk groups, I think we will look into more data. The Joint Scientific Committee and our experts would look into before any further recommendation. So the health secretary seems to be waiting for the expert committee's advice. I must say we did invite Professor Chan on our program today, but unfortunately she can't make it. So uh, Professor Hong, you're a government advisor on COVID issues. What does your data show right now? Do BioNTech vaccine recipients need a third jab? Yes, they will need a, uh, a third jab at some point, but perhaps not as um, urgent as those who have received the Sinovac. Uh, and of course, there are certain cohorts within the BioNTech vaccine group that also need to receive the booster sooner than the others. And that, of course, include those who I've mentioned previously, include those who are immunocompromised and transplant patients who, in fact, after two doses of BioNTech, many of them have, uh, especially for those who are post-transplant, many of them have a negative antibody. So those, in fact, they will need a booster shot, perhaps even more frequent than, you know, uh, six months, or they may need a different way. For example, we're doing an intradermal uh, vaccination for these patients, and hopefully they will get a much better response. What does that mean, for those, intradermal? For those who are, um, who are healthy and who, those who are receive two doses of BioNTech, again, they will need the booster shot at some point, but perhaps maybe in two or three months' time, uh, so that we can uh, give, the, uh, give the booster shot for those who need it more urgently than the others. And then gradually, probably in, in January and February, then we'll roll out the, uh, the booster shot for those who have received two doses of BioNTech and in a healthy cohort. What you said, um, intradermal, what does that mean? Intradermal meaning that the delivery route is slightly different instead of giving it directly into the intramuscular uh, layer that is the current uh, vaccination method, the delivery method. We're doing it uh, with a shorter needle and that will be the, the vaccine will be given intradermally. So we're doing a clinical trial on that for uh, post-transplant patients. Professor Hung, some people um, actually received their BioNTech jabs as early as March. Do they need to worry about their level of immunity against COVID? Yes, in fact, the antibody will drop as well. And, and uh, from our study, we find that some of them, uh, after six months, their antibody will drop by at least two-fold, uh, two to three-fold. So, but because the initial... Uh, antibody level is, uh, you know, about 10 times higher compared to the Sinovac. So as a result, even though they have a significant drop, they still have a positive antibody. But they will need a booster shot at some time, probably in two or three months' time. All right, and I have an email here. It's uh, from Mark. Um, he says, uh, should those who had BioNTech look at having... Um, AZ, I guess he means AstraZeneca or, or similar, as a third, a third booster shot? That's from Mark, Professor Hung. Well, um, we 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 of course we have studies that have uh, in UK that perform uh, given AstraZeneca and then followed by BioNTech. Uh, we we find that uh, those who have received BioNTech, perhaps the uh, immunogenicity will be the best if they stick to receiving BioNTech. Uh, and of course, the other problem is that in Hong Kong we we don't have AstraZeneca registered, uh, so. Uh, we will recommend those who have received two doses of BioNTech to uh, continue with the BioNTech as the booster. Uh, and also not to switch to Sinovac because the, our studies show that basically those who received a dose of BioNTech followed by Sinovac will have an antibody level similar to receiving two doses of Sinovac rather than uh, boosting to the level of receiving two doses of BioNTech.
Professor Cowling, what, what's your what's your view on uh, what's been said so far? I mean, should should people who got their Beyond uh, Tech jabs really early, some as early as March? I mean, do they need to worry about their level of uh, immunity against COVID? I'll go back to what I said earlier. If we're confident that we're not going to have much COVID in the community in the coming months, and that would be consistent with a, a stable situation in Hong Kong with no cases and an open border with the mainland. If that's the case, then we don't need to worry too much about, about vaccine uptake and, and the third doses because there's no COVID anyway. But if we are concerned that there could be a fifth wave, I think uh, everyone could benefit from a third dose if they've had two doses, whether it's Sinovac or BioNTech. Right now, the priority is the people who receive Sinovac first, but in due course, uh, that third dose program, we, we open to everybody who receives Sinovac of any age and and then also I, I think it will open for people who've received two doses of BioNTech. Uh, if you look at other parts of the world, Singapore are doing third doses after BioNTech and Moderna. Uh, Europe are doing third doses. So it will happen here. It's just a question of the timing because if we're not expecting COVID to come in the near future and we're hoping that it's not, then maybe it's premature to do third doses. Maybe we'd be better off waiting. Uh, if, for example, we decide we're going to reopen to the rest of the world in the spring, then actually the third doses should really be nearer to then, so we get the maximum level of protection at the time where we're going to reopen. So, Professor Cowling, on the question of timing, uh, um, many people will be going away for Christmas now, and now that the option for travellers is to get the, the third jab, when we, what's the optimum time when you're going to take a trip in the near future to have your booster shot? If, you, if you're travelling and you had your first two doses quite a while ago, then I would say try to get a third dose maybe a month before you travel, because then you'll be at a, at a high level of, of protection after that third dose at the point when you travel and a point when you're maybe in another location that there's a higher risk. Uh, uh, but right now, we only have a third dose program for those who receive two doses of Sinovac. For those who receive two doses of BioNTech, uh, they, they, they can't get the third dose yet. That, that won't be in place until later. Um, so maybe that, that won't be in time for Christmas. I actually have an email here about Christmas, and it's uh, for Professor Cowling. It says, uh, firstly, um, it's from uh, Eric. It says, uh, firstly, I'd like to thank Professor Cowling for his contribution to Hong Kong in its uh, COVID protection. And second, he says, uh, I have a question as to whether he believes there is a likelihood that people returning back to the UK to see their families this Christmas could end up in the same situation of a UK to Hong Kong flights being cancelled, returning to Hong Kong, uh, leading to uh, people uh, stranded like last Christmas season. I'm sure, like me, many others are in a dilemma whether to go back. For those that can work remotely and in the UK, it's easy. But for those whose job requires them to be in Hong Kong, maybe he could give us a little bit of guidance. It's certainly a risk, and I would say that there's a couple of risks. So one risk is if you go to the UK or somewhere else in the world for, for Christmas, uh, the flights might be cancelled and your travel will be disrupted. And, and of course, even if you could come another way back to, the, back to Hong Kong, there's also the issue with your quarantine hotel booking, and I know those are very difficult to arrange right now. So it, it, it could be a disaster trip. Uh, the, the other issue is, of course, if you're unlucky enough to get COVID when you're overseas, maybe you get it at Christmas because of you, you mixing with all your, your relatives and your friends uh, when you come back to Hong Kong after you've recovered there is a, a definite risk that you could test positive as a, a repositive case that's happened so many times in the past year and it, in the past those repositive cases were hospitalized were isolated for, for maybe three four five days just to confirm that it was a repositive after recovery now the minimum hospitalization time for those cases is is 24 plus days uh, in some cases it's going to be a month and so I, I think that's a risk you have to take into account that you could go back for Christmas for a couple of weeks planning your your quarantine here as well and then it turns 
turns into months that you're you're out of circulation because of, of various issues that come up. So it, it is a risk, and I, I would be careful. So when you say hospitalisation, are you confined to bed or are you allowed to walk around and... No, there's a, there's a nice video on, on, on Twitter that I retweeted a couple of days ago from, from a guy in the isolation centre. So he's got a lot of freedom in the isolation ward. Um, and there's, there's a bed, he put his, his laptop on a, on a desk and he was able to do his work. But uh, it's different to a quarantine hotel. It, it is a hospital facility. Um, and to, to be there for, for a long period of time wouldn't be easy for And are they doing people. tests on you while you're there and treating you, even though you're not having symptoms? Oh, I don't think they're treating you because you don't have, probably wouldn't have many symptoms, so there's no need to give any treatment, but they'll certainly be testing very regularly. All right, Professor Hung, uh, I've got a few emails here. I'm not sure if you can answer these uh, questions. Um, first of all, this one is from David. He says, uh, as Hong Kong doesn't have any cases of COVID, why can't Hong Kong open up fully with businesses? give uh, the public one month without masks and uh, before China comes in because uh, oh let me just oh this is a bit uh, muddled up just hold on one second oh and then he says uh, because many of us have allergies and face infections it would also show what type of virus was transmitting and then we have to put the mask back on again if there is an outbreak I guess uh, David is just wondering why Hong Kong can't open up right now and well unfortunately that could not happen because of currently the, the vaccination rate in Hong Kong, especially among the elderly, is still quite low. So if we open up and, you know, take off all the infection control measures, there will certainly be a rapid rise in terms of cases, given that, of course, the Delta variant is very contagious. Uh, and, um, it, and once this has collapsed, then the, basically all the hospitals will be very much under stress because we will be full of like similar to previous wave, like in the third wave, where we have a lot of uh, outbreaks among the elderly homes. And uh, basically, the, all the hospital authority, uh, facilities, isolation wards and ICU will be very much, uh, you know, swarmed with cases, very similar to what's happening in, in Singapore and in UK right now. So um, so I think we need, definitely need to get up the vaccination rate before we can gradually step down the infection control measures. Uh, and similarly, I think, uh, you know, given what's happening right now in China, that there are, you know, hundreds of cases uh, happening. Uh, and again, we could not do that. So uh, unfortunately, we will not be able to take off all the infection control measures until we have get up the, the, the vaccination rate. And then we can do it gradually. All right, Professor Hung, I'm going to ask you a question. I asked uh, Professor Cowling earlier. How should uh, people, I mean, those who are eligible for the booster shots, uh, how should they uh, select the right shot for themselves? I mean, I know uh, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, she says she's going to take uh, Sinovac as her booster shot. So how do people choose? Well, I think given the signs currently, basically the, um, the mRNA vaccines, that is the, the BioNTech, uh, have a much better immunogenicity in terms of the, you know, neutralizing antibody titer, and also, you know, in general, it's much more effective against the Delta variant. Uh, so until you know we have a like a second generation of uh, of vaccine for the Sinovac, uh, that you know would give a better protection against the Delta. The current better vaccine, as compared, will be the, you know, the the, the BioNTech vaccine. So. Um, for those who have received already received two doses of BioNTech and then they would like to get a booster uh, shot, uh, the recommendation, of course, is to continue with the BioNTech. For those who have received Sinovac before, then it will be up to them to 
decide which vaccine they should use. And of course, if they want a better protection or if they are thinking of traveling soon, then the BioNTech vaccine will be a better choice because it gives a better protection against the Delta. Uh, but of course, they can still stick to Sinovac. Uh, but the problem, of course, we know that uh, un- until they have changed the, you know, the vaccine antigen back to Delta, uh, then they will be able to give all a high dose, then they will be able to give a better protection. Then they probably will need a much more frequent boosting uh, if they're going to stick to Sinovac. So that will entirely de- de- uh, depend on the, you know, the, 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 the subject's choice. The other group, of course, is that for those who have received BioNTech and then they have developed you know, uh, anaphylaxis or severe allergy to BioNTech, then, of course, they, will, they could switch over to, to Sinovac as the booster shot. So people don't need to worry about mixing at different vaccinations then? Not at all. It's, it's all very, very safe. I think in the future, then, of course, in two or three years' time, then people will be able to choose their own vaccine, uh, you know, with three or four or five even different platforms, very similar to the seasonal influenza vaccine. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there. And once again, thank you to uh, both of you for joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Ivan Hong, a member of an expert committee advising the government on COVID vaccines. And Professor Benjamin Cowling, the head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong. It's uh, now 21 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to move on to our second and final topic today. And that is the harbourfront development. After Henderson Land won the bid for a prime commercial site in Central at a record of $50.8 billion. And Henderson Land now says it's planning to spend $63 billion to develop the site into an iconic landmark and a social destination dedicated to public enjoyment. To discuss this, we're joined on the line now by John Batten from the Central and Western Concern Group. Good morning, Mr. Batten. Hi, Janice. Thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, so, first of all, what do you think of the plan? Oh, what do I think of the plan? Um, this is on, on site three of the um, of the, the development, and you know. So, John, where exactly back. is it? Could you just locate oh, it for us? Let's see, two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and the the first uh, suggestion that this would be a reclamation was probably in the early two thousands. So, you know, we're going back 20 years and, and now we've got this, which looks fabulous, doesn't it? With all these trees, you know, fully grown conifers and pines. Uh, but if you look carefully at the the, the, the the illustrations they've got, you see that there's a lot of uh, stepped terracing. Um, there's basically just lots of concrete. There's an unrealistic elevations. Um, it looks like a little peninsula of, of trees there. You know, let, let's be real. It's it's a it's a, a property development that will contain office and retail. So, yeah. where is it exactly, uh, Anna? It's exactly in front of Jardine House, and it goes all the way over to the uh, Garden of Remembrance near the City Hall, and then extends uh, until the the new ferry piers. So it's the reclamation. It's a huge, it's a huge area. It's yeah. the reclamation. Yes, yes. Right. And it, it, it used to be called, the, you know, when, when this was first proposed, there was a, uh, let me think if I can remember the term, there was like a ground scraper. This was the ground scraper uh, idea when, it was, when, when the government first uh, unveiled the, the, the illustration.
illustrations of the, the project. They called it a ground scraper. And basically it was a big, long block of concrete, <laughs> which scared people. So this is now the result, which is similar, but it's, it's more elevated and, and um, uh, it, it's more terraced. And, and it looks like it's got lots of trees, but I, 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 I can't see that happening. Yeah. So, so from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like uh, you, you believe it's uh, um, achieving a good balance between a development and the preservation of its surrounding area then? Well, it's a reclamation, Janice. And um, so actually, the, in the early days when we tried to fight this, I think it, it was something that we didn't appreciate because, of course, it included the, 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 the precinct, which included the old Star Ferry. And so when, when, when this was proposed, uh, which was sort of along the same, at the same time as the Tamar reclamation where the, the government headquarters are now, it, it, I think it was all, all a bit overwhelming to, to appreciate the, the scope of this development. And I think uh, we were caught blindsided by the loss of the heritage of the, of the Star Ferry. It, it, it really is um, development by stealth in many ways, um, this, this huge reclamation. And it, it, the reason why we have it is mainly because of the, the roads that were, were needed, or that were maybe not needed, but were said to be needed um, to, to link uh, Kennedy Town and the Western Harbour Crossing with Wan Chai and Causeway Bay and further afield. So in many ways, there, there are a lot, as we know, we, you know, anyone who goes there will know there are lots of roads there. So this development is being built over those roads, and uh, that's why it's called the bridge, because it's, it's a bridge over, over, over roads. Yeah. But there will be uh, height restrictions, right, in the new uh, development? There is, um, but it's still fairly high. Um, I think probably the first 15 floors of Jardine House will lose their views. Um, so it's still a very substantial, and because it's bulky, you you will have an impression that it, it is it, it is tall. Yeah, yeah. And I know under the sales contract, the old Star Ferry clock tower has to be reconstructed. How will that uh, fit in with the whole uh, development? Well, Janice, you know this this is this is very debatable. You know, it's not the clock tower that will be reconstructed because, of course, that was uh, destroyed. It will be fake. Um, but what has been preserved is the mechanism of the, the Star Ferry uh, bells, the, the, the clock tower, the clock's um, timing mechanism. And uh, that, of course, had the, um, the very iconic um, uh, sound of, of Big Ben. That, that, that's going to be very strange, having Big ben, ben chiming under Hong Kong's current climate. Um, so yeah, it's very strange. Yes, the, the clock tower will be rebuilt or a version of it will be rebuilt and it would look like the, the, the clock tower in, on, the, on the Kowloon uh, waterfront, Chimsai waterfront. So it, it, it will stick out like a sore thumb. It, it doesn't quite fit in to the ambience of this new project. So again, it's another strange compromise. Um, yeah, and you know, there hasn't been debate about there hasn't been much debate about the relocation of those those bells, the, the chimes of, of, of the old clock tower, um, and you know a, a debate about maybe installing them into a new building might might would have been 
would have been a good thing to at least discuss. And it, it's, a, it's a bit similar to the, the relocation of the, uh, of the old Queen's Pier. Um, you know, some people say it should be in the exact location in front of City Hall and others say no because it's a pier it should be on the waterfront and this has been been going on for for for, for 10 years now this debate and it hasn't still hasn't been resolved yeah. All right, I have a few emails here, and this one is from David. He says, uh, high price of land, high price of rent, high price of food and restaurants, high destruction of quality of life and dust and noise pollution. Give me a break. Heard it before, and we probably won't be able to walk around the harbour front. And that's from David. Another email I have here is from Rebecca. She says, uh, Dear Batchat, uh, will the new development on the harbour front implement any green policies to reduce energy use? It seems that given we are at a critical point in the climate crisis, it should be compulsory any new buildings to aim for carbon neutrality. And uh, that's from Rebecca. So, uh, Mr. Batten, what do you think uh, of those uh, suggestions? Um, well, one suggestion is we don't have it, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, of course. It, 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 do we need more retail right there? Do we need more offices there? Um, you know, that's always the, the debate in Hong Kong is, is where to place these things if you want to be a, a functioning city and a vibrant city of, of business and commerce. So, yeah, you know, it, this is, as I say, you know, these debates we should have had 20 years ago when, when the, the reclamation was first proposed. And, um, you know, some of us tried and, and failed. You know, it, it, it was a juggernaut that, that took over. And, um, you know, this development will be finished, I think uh, they're projecting 11 years. So, you know, it's, a, it's almost a 35-year project. You know, and at, at the moment, we have um, barren spaces down there, which, because, uh, uh, you know, the one of the original um, promises by government was, yes, we will do a development, but don't worry, we will have lots of open space and green areas for the public to, to, to walk on, a park, in other words. And that park still hasn't been done. It's still a, a barren site, which is used occasionally for, for exhibitions and festivals. So, you know, it's all very unsatisfactory and, and very typical of Hong Kong, where, you know, the public is, is not really engaged with what's going. We don't have much say. It's that property juggernaut again that takes over. All right, uh, we'll have to leave it there. But uh, Mr. Batten, thanks again for joining us on the program. And that's John Batten from the Central and Western Concern Group. And also many thanks to all of you who commented through email. And of course, a thank you, Anna, for being my co-host today. And also Yuki, our producer. And uh, that's it for us this week. We'll be back uh, on uh, Monday at 8.30. Now, um, here's the weather. It will be a uh, sunny, well, sunny periods uh, with a maximum temperature of around uh, 29 degrees. Winds moderate easterlies to southeasterlies, and the outlook warm with relatively low visibility over the weekend. And uh, right now it's 26 degrees, relative humidity 84%. No matter how fit we are, it is important to get vaccinated to prevent COVID 19. All along, we have received different vaccines to prevent infections. Vaccines will help create antibodies and memory in our immune system. When we come into contact with viruses in future, our immune system will quickly resist them. It is the simplest and most effective method to protect ourselves and others. Let's get vaccinated. It's 9.31, the news with Vicky Wong. 
Chief Executive Carrie Lam says the government doesn't plan to add a tracking function to the Leave Home Safe app, but warned that people would need to upload their check-in records if they want to avoid quarantine when they travel to the mainland. About 84 million Americans who work at companies with 100 or more employees will need to be vaccinated against COVID-19 by January the 4th next year or get tested for the virus weekly. And scientists have expressed optimism about lessening the potential temperature rise bolstered by pledges made at the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, interpreter of Beethoven, as well. Oh, so shy, quiet, and retiring doggy council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the lift. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Welcome to Friday's Morning Brew. Here on Radio 3. Well, it's the day of the week. I've got to do this in a different voice. It's the day of the week when we bring out the big guns to show you just how true radio professionals work. Actually, also, you can listen to Danny Hicks at 11.10 for sports and all. Footy and F1 with the F1 season roaring to a conclusion. And you can lap up the full IMAX Marshy Movie Time experience after 12. Our critic James Marsh will be with us to take a look at the week in film. We look forward to your wit and wisdom. So do join them both on Facebook Live. Thank you very much. Turn your back and walk to me. me. 